0: This morning we are looking in the book of Psalms once again and looking at specifically Psalm 71, so I'd encourage you to open your Bibles with me and follow along. And would you please stand as we honor the reading of God's Word from Psalm 71. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness deliver me and rescue me. Incline your ear to hear me and save me. Be to me a rock of refuge to which I may continually come. You have given the command to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Rescue me, O God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of the unjust and cruel man. For you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust, O Lord, from my youth. Upon you I have learned, I have leaned from before my birth, you who... Are he who took me from my mother's womb? My praise is continually of you. I have been as a portent to many, but you are my strong refuge. My mouth is filled with your praise and with your glory all the day. Do not cast me off in the time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength is spent. For my enemies speak concerning me. Those who watch for my life consult together and say, God has forsaken him. Pursue and seize him, for there is none to deliver him. O God, be not far from me. O my God, make haste to help me. May my accusers be put to shame and consumed with scorn and disgrace. May they be covered with who seek my hurt. But I will hope continually and will praise you yet more and more. My mouth will tell of your righteous acts, of your deeds of salvation all the day, for their number is past my knowledge. With the mighty deeds of the Lord God, I will come. I will remind them of your righteousness, yours alone. O God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me, until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those to come. Your righteousness, O God, reaches the high heavens. You who have done great things, O God, who is like you? You have made me see many troubles and calamities. You, who have made me see many troubles and calamities, will revive me again. From the depths of the earth, you will bring me up again. You will increase my greatness and comfort me again. I will praise you with the harp for your faithfulness, O my God. I will sing praises to you with the lyre, O holy one of Israel. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to you. My soul also, which you have redeemed. And my tongue will talk of your righteous help all the day long. For they have been put to shame and disappointed who sought To do me hurt. This is God's word. Would you please have a seat? You know, not long after uh, Ron and I got married, we went to visit my grandmother. Both our grandfathers had passed away a couple of years before we got married, and we were thinking about the kind of the window of opportunity to find out more about their lives. Was, was over. And uh, that struck us. And we didn't want that to happen with our other grandparents that still remained with us. So we took, I guess that was the days of the, the videotape recorder a long time ago, and we took it with us to the farm where she lived in uh, northwest Arkansas and sat down with her and had to convince her, which she didn't want to do, to let us interview her on tape. We wanted to record. Uh, her life, record the lessons that she has learned. I mean, this woman was, she, she lived to almost 101, and she lived through, you know, two world wars, the Great Depression, and everything there is in between, and you think, my, what kind of stories are in that head? What kind of wisdom can be gained from someone that's been through all of this? And we, we knew we wanted to capture that. We really didn't know how to capture that, so we just asked questions about her life, you know what was it like for you what was the culture like when you were growing up uh you know how did you meet my grandfather you know what what did you guys do to make it through the great depression all of these different things what was it like during the time of the war so trying to find out the culture in america at different per- periods of time and and how the lessons that she had learned had brought her to where she was you know she was a woman of faith she had been a faithful member of her church for you know i don't know how many decades and decades and decades and her faith was a testament passed on to, you know, my mother, whose faith was passed on to me. So, it was this generational thing that's going on. And uh, that was a, a rich and rewarding experience, and maybe we can find that videotape probably in a box melting in the attic somewhere, which is terrible, terrible loss. Uh, but in any case, this psalm in some ways kind of reminds me of that, that kind of approach. The psalm is the, is the prayer of one who is old, you know, someone who has gray hairs, who, have, who has aged, and it's as though we are getting to peek inside uh, a window of what their prayer life looks like. So, someone who's lived a long time, a faithful life before the Lord, what do they pray, and what lessons can we learn from that? And that's, that's what I want to approach from this psalm, 71. So, it's, it's, uh, it's main lesson, if you had to summarize it this way, what is the one thing they have learned? And it's found in verse 3. I would summarize in verse 3. Be to me a rock of refuge to which I may continually come. You have given the command to save me for you are my rock and my fortress. What's fascinating is there, there's, the, there's a prayer request to be my rock and refuge, and there's the recognition that you are my rock. my fortress so there's the the both and the and there's the prayer for it and there's the experience of it all happening captured in this one verse this idea that if we look at the prayer of an old person who's walked with the lord a long time we notice that the one theme that permeates is that god has proven himself to be a rock of refuge And you think well what is a rock of refuge that's not exactly a word that we use in common everyday language and you would say it's a shelter. It's a shelter in the storm. You know, Growing up in Oklahoma, we grew up in Tornado Alley, and tornadoes would go through all the time. In fact, we had tornado sirens that would go off every Friday uh, at, at noon just to test them to make sure they were working uh, because tornadoes were frequent. Uh, growing up, I didn't hear much about the damage they'd cause. They might, they might strike something way out in the country, but in 1999, May 3rd, I still remember, we were living in Oklahoma City. It was downtown, and they kept talking about this terrible storm that was coming. These tornadoes were sweeping through, and everybody was encouraged to go home. Um, I was working on the 17th floor of a a high-rise downtown that faced the southwest. It was all windows, and whenever, when they said, there's a great storm coming from the southwest, go home, we all just went to the window and watched. (laughs) We did eventually go home before it got there, but, you know, that's what you do when you have a good view. Uh, We didn't see the tornado. We didn't really take it that seriously because I'd never really seen any destruction. But that wreaked so much havoc. It was like a mile-wide swath. It just took right out of the middle of uh, suburban areas, right through Moore, Oklahoma, and South Oklahoma City. It was devastating. And I, I still remember driving around some of those neighborhoods that had been struck, and you didn't recognize them at all anymore. Houses were destroyed. If trees that existed had just been stripped of their branches and leaves, they're just these poles sticking out of the ground. I mean, if you'd lived there and you tried to go back to where you were, you wouldn't recognize your own neighborhood. In fact, there was a, there was a, a couple, a family that was living in our church. They were uh, part of the Air Force, and there's a base there in, in Tinker in, in South Oklahoma City. And they, their house got hit by the tornado, and they were in the house. They didn't have a shelter or anything, and you know, they called and said, Well, what should we do? And they told them to pull a mattress and go into, the, you know, go into a bathroom in the, in the bathtub and pull it over your head. And they did. They sought shelter there, and that storm took out their second story and some of the rooms that they weren't in. I mean, and they came out, you know, with the lessons learned of what do you need? Well, go in with your shoes and go in with your wallet because you won't find any of it when you come out. And uh, you know, they needed a refuge from the storm. And similar experience in Moore, Oklahoma. Uh, one of our family friends had a had a property on some acreage along with uh, their business. And she has an extra-large tornado shelter underground and a tornado warning had come. This was after that 99 tornado had come and people took them a lot more serious. And she went into the shelter and brought all the workers that were on their place also in the shelter. The storm came through, they came out, and her house was gone. Now, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a refuge when a storm comes that will sweep you away. And, you know, one thing, a lesson, you talk to that family friend, for example, now, and having experienced that and having known the significance of having a shelter like that, she'll never live in another house without a shelter. And you look at this old person in this prayer and you think, what does he know? He knows that God is a refuge because he's lived through all kinds of storms, whether they're emotional storms, spiritual storms, financial storms, social storms, political storms… He's lived through them all, and he's in the midst of a storm right now, but he will never again be without a refuge because he knows he cannot let go of God. So that's, That is an amazing lesson. I don't think we really fully grasp that until you've been through your own storms and you've, you've experienced God's protective hand at work, then this won't be as significant. It's why you need to listen to the voice of the one with gray hair. Or the one without any hair. You know, sometimes it just comes, goes away. So we listen to those and we learn that lesson. God is a refuge when the storms come. That's the lessons He's learned. And I want to listen in. And the first thing we see that when God is your refuge, this is what we see from Him. It fuels Him with hope. That's lesson number one. When God is your refuge, He fuels you with hope. You can read this psalm, and it's not too different from a lot of the other psalms that we've already read. There's a lot of psalms that are filled with desperate cries of help to God. David, for example, King David, he was in trouble time and time again. He talks about, I think even last week, the being under the underwater uh, and the murk and the mire, and everything is overwhelming me, and I'm feeling anxious and frightened and terrified. Lord, help me or I will die. A lot of those kinds of themes, and this, this hints at that. There there is the trouble he's mentioning right away in verse 4. Rescue me, O God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of the unjust and cruel man. So he is in the middle of a storm. But what's so fascinating, when you read this psalm, and and as you read it as a whole, you don't come away with the flavor of desperation. It doesn't feel like he's over-anxious, even though he is very much in the midst of a storm. And I think that's the one lesson that he's learned, the first lesson that he's learned, if God really is my refuge and I know that He will be there, when this storm comes, I'm still filled with hope. It doesn't undo me. That's what it means for God to be your refuge. And look at what he says in verse 5 and 6, for this is really the, the tenor, the flavor of the psalm. Even though he's under this storm, he says, for you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust, O Lord, from my youth. Upon you I have leaned from before my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you. So how did he get to this place of know, of having hope in the midst of a storm? And he tells us right there, It says, this is been learned from a lifetime of experience upon you i have leaned from even before my birth he talks about my trust O lord from my youth so there's both the aspect that this is his long-term experience that has brought him to this point storms are going to come and my hope doesn't die it overshadows the anxiety that i would otherwise feel and it's not just that he has learned from experience but he's also learned to recognize that god has been there at work even before he was born in his life And that is reminiscent of the teaching we have in the New Testament with Paul when he talks about, for before the foundation of the world was laid, I chose you to be holy and blameless in my sight. There's this recognition that the reason God is a refuge, that I have gained this experience over my lifetime, is that God has had His hand on me even before I was born. And it is now built and built and built and built to the point where now I can pray a prayer in old age when things look frightening, when I am weak and my enemies are strong, and yet against all rationale, I'm not undone. I have hope because I know what it means to stand on the Lord as my refuge. So the hope is cultivated by a lifetime of experience of God as a refuge. So what's the next lesson we learn? Well, the next lesson we learn comes from the fact that this this psalm is filled with praise. It's filled with praise. That's really the flavor of it as you go through here. Verse after verse. Verse 8, for example, my mouth is filled with your praise and with your glory all the day. Verse 14, but I will hope continually and will praise you yet more and more. Verses 19 and 20. Your righteousness, O oh God, reaches the high heavens. You who have done great things, O oh God, who is like you? Who You who have made me see many calamities and troubles will revive me again. From the depths of the earth you will bring me up again. So you have this aspect of praise. Remember, this is a prayer request for God because He's in the time of trouble. Those He is weak in His old age. Those who are strong, who are against Him, lined up against Him, and yet his prayer is full, instead of desperation, anxiety, is full of praise for God. Now, how did he get there? How did he get there? Well, he says something interesting in verses 7 and 8. It says, I've been as a portent to many, but you are my strong refuge. My mouth is filled with your praise and with your glory all the day. I have been as a portent to many. That's such an f- interesting phrase. You know, what is a portent? That's, again, not, not one of those words we use in everyday language. But a portent is it's just a sign. It's a mystery. It can be a it can be a, a, a negative or like a warning sign. It can be a positive sign. It's a portent. He says, My life has been a sign, a portent, a mystery to many. So what is he saying there? He's saying, I've been through so many things that God that people can look at my life and they can see lessons that God is real. They've seen me withstand storms that should have undone me. I've been a portent to many. They've seen me survive when I should have died. And what's interesting is that many of us already have those stories to tell. Many of, many of us have lives that would tell those kinds of things. Now, even, if you're, even if your life is just a portent to you, that God is real. I know I've told this before. For every man out there that survived adolescence, that's evidence right now there is a God I don't know if I told you all the horrible stories that I've had. Let me tell you one. When I was a teenager, just learning, you know, probably 16, 17, I was across the street at my friend's house, and one of our other friends was there. He had driven his car there, and he was leaving for the night. He had this little yellow Fiat, had a little sunroof on the top. And just to be funny, my other friend, who lived across the street when he was getting ready to leave in his car, jumped on the back of his bumper. And so I thought, well, I'll do that, too. I jumped on the back of his bumper. But he quickly jumped off, and I wasn't quick enough. (laughs) And he started going down the street. So I'm standing on the bumper with my hands on his sunroof, and he thought, well, I'm going to get the last laugh. I'm going to scare him. And he starts driving. I don't know how fast he was going, 50, zigzagging through the, the parked cars and curving. And I am screaming at the top of my lungs. I've never been had so much terror in my life I thought, any minute, I'm going, to be fl- I'm going to fly off and I'm going to hit who knows what. One of these cars, land in the street, I'm going to die. I really thought I was going to die that night. And I, and I guess he realized my screams were for real or I'd had enough. I don't know. <laughs> and he pulled over and I got off and, yeah, I had to sit down for quite a while and get my breathing back. Uh, but, yeah, look at that time. I should have died that night. It was at the time I think I was five years old. I was riding home my bicycle down the street. And I remember seeing this dump truck in the driveway of a car, and there was parked cars on either side of the street, so it was a very narrow way between them. And I rode my bicycle between them, and this dump truck decided to back out. And he, he hit my bicycle, knocked me over, and proceeded to, with the dual wheels, run over my body, my legs. And I somehow was awake during that. And still remember the man who was standing on the side of the truck trying to get his attention. And then I guess I passed out and woke up some, you know, the, day, the next day or something. But miraculously, I didn't have any broken bones. I don't know how. There were tire tracks on my legs. But no broken bones. That's a portent. That God is real. And for some reason, He spared me. So you look back at those moments and you have to let that fuel you for praise that, wow, he's not just this, in theory, God who can help me. No, he's very real, and he steps in, and he will help you when you're in need. He will be there. He is a refuge that you can absolutely trust. Now, sometimes your life is a portent, not just that God is real and will save you, but sometimes your life is the, a negative portent. You Ever had those moments? When you're a sign of what not to do the others. There was a time not too long ago, well, I guess it was a while ago, Mercer, my second son, was probably 12, 13, and he was with me in the car. We were coming back to Cornerstone Campus, and we were almost here on Park York. There was one stop sign to go, and there was a car in front of me that was driving really slow, and he stopped at that stop sign forever, and I thought, I've stopped here long enough for both of us, so I just kind of coasted through the stop sign, and there happened to be a policeman, I don't know where, I don't know where, but pulled out, pulled me over, and, uh, you know, we'd been going, we coasted that going three miles an hour. There was a zero danger, there was nobody around, there was really, it was nothing, and, and my son is just going on and on about how unfair this is, I can't believe this person stopped you and all the bad things going on in the world, why would they pull you over for this? And my first thought was, yeah. (laughs) But I didn't say that. Instead, I'm thinking, you know, I got my 12-year-old son in the car, and he's watching me. Um, And while I don't think I should be getting a ticket, I did deserve to get pulled over, because I technically did break the law. And so she came, and I thought, she'll probably just give me a warning. No. She took my license, wrote up the ticket, gave it to me and all I could do was sit here and defend her, it was a uh, female police cop, uh, to my son. I deserved it. I broke the law. This is the consequences. There are negative consequences to breaking the law. Sometimes your life is a portent to many because you have suffered the negative consequences of breaking God's law. And they look at you and they realize, hmm, that's not something I want to do. So your life can be a portent to many, it's meant to be a portent to many, especially if you're a person of faith, from the positive and the negative lessons that you've learned that testify about God, to the point that you have learned how to see them, and so that your life is filled with praise for God. You can't help it but praise God. And if anything, I think that would be the greatest portent of all to the watching world, as they see how your life has gone through all the ups and downs that you've experienced, and where where does it led you? a place where the number one thing you want to do is praise the Lord, who's real, who's a refuge, who fills you with hope. So that's the second lesson we learn. And the last thing that it brings us to is that my life cannot end until I can pass on these lessons to others. Till I can pass on these lef- lessons to others. It's, it's as if the praise alone is not enough. So look at verse 18. So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those to come. And it's the very note that he ends with, and my tongue will talk of your righteous help all the day long, for they have been put to shame and disappointed who sought to do me, do me hurt. My tongue will talk of your righteousness all day long. Do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation. One of the great things about living in the time that we do is we live in the time after Christ has come. We have seen how the New Testament writers have explained what Jesus has done in order to accomplish the, the reality of God being the ultimate refuge. Because what you notice from this psalmist is that all these experiences of the way that God has saved him in his life from all these calamities have given him hope to believe that even when he dies, God will redeem him. I was looking for that verse. That's why I was quiet. This is what happens when you just go completely out of order in your notes. Where is that? Verse 20. You who have made me see many troubles and calamities will revive me again. So that's the lesson that he's learned. You who have, sorry, from the depths of the earth, you will bring me up again. He knows from a lifetime of experiences of seeing how God has been a refuge to him in all the storms of life, that even the great storm that is coming, which is death, won't stop him. That God will redeem him even from that. That is remarkable for someone from his perspective before the time of Christ of not knowing how God will accomplish this, but yet having such a, a life that has given us this experience to know that somehow God is going to do this. And Now, we, of course, know how he did it. We know that he sent Jesus Christ to die the death that this is what we have to see about this table. This is the death that we rightly deserve to die. The ultimate storm is the wrath of God. There is nothing that can withstand the wrath of God. Nothing. It can wipe out the entire universe. And the only reason that we are not carried away with it is because Christ Himself became our refuge in that storm. So while the psalmist only knew that God would do it, we know how He did it, that He is a refuge in the midst of the storm. Now, I know when you're young when your life isn't necessarily filled with all these experiences, all of this remains interesting, but a little more theoretical. It hasn't sunk its teeth into you. But I hope, my encouragement to you, if you're young and you don't have these experiences, is that you would listen to the voice of the one who is old. And don't wait to have to learn all the lessons for yourself. Us boys, we're terrible at that. We always have to experience it for ourselves and suffer perhaps a lot more than necessary. But for those of you who have walked through life, ask the Lord to open your eyes to see the many ways time and time again that He has been your refuge so that it's not just this theoretical thing that I can hold in my back pocket that one day when I die that God will raise me up again. But it's though this is going to fuel the way I live every day that there will be praise on my lips so powerfully that I cannot stop until I can tell the coming generation I want to be the one to tell the next generation that's where this life experience has brought this old man who's writing this song and it fuels us with hope sometimes you read these Psalms and you're looking for doctrine And there is, of course, doctrine in them. But I'm learning as I've been going through these psalms, one of the great things that you learn from the psalms is not just the doctrine, but it's the the feel, it's the flavor, it's the nuance in the psalm. And that's really, I think, the lesson of this psalm. An old person who writes his prayer in a time of desperation, when he is weak and all of his enemies are strong, who should, in other words, be filled with anxiety and despair, isn't. He's praying the prayer for help, but the flavor of this prayer is filled with hope. May we be there one day, too. Father in heaven, thank you for this psalm and the experience of the psalmist. And opening a window that we can look into the lessons that he has learned, a lesson that shows us that, yes, you as a refuge fills us with hope. And that because you are a hope, you lead us to praise. And because that praise is so great, we cannot help until we tell the next generation because we know that the great greatest storm that we'll ever face you have already provided christ as our refuge we ask the lord that you help us to keep praise on our lips in jesus name amen